Welcome to Fostering Solutions, a podcast that uplifts people and enterprises making positive impact in communities around the world. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Foster. My guest today on the Maximizing with Michelle series is Sarah Bolliard. Um, Sarah, why don't you tell the audience about yourself? Sure. So um, Sarah Bolliard, I'm the president and CEO of the YMCA of Canal Valley. I have lived in the Canal Valley since I was 14 years old. We were a product of transfer and relocation for my father's career. Um, so I've been here for over 30 years and called Charleston home with my husband and our little boy, Willie, who's six. Awesome. Awesome. So you are the president and CEO of our YMCA mm-hmm. here in Charleston, in, in the Kanawha Valley, actually. So how did you get to this position? Describe your journey in the nonprofit sector. Yeah, so I started in the nonprofit industry about 15 years ago, and I started mm-hmm. with the American Heart Association. And I kind of worked my way up through the Heart Association. I started as a youth development director there, um, doing jump rope for heart, and then I became a heart walk director. And then I ended my career after 10 years there as the executive director for the state of West Virginia. Okay, good, good, good. So what keeps you in the nonprofit sector? It's, it can be bumpy at times, yeah. as we know. <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> so what keeps you in the nonprofit sector? I think it, I, the nonprofit sector keeps me because I'm passionate about it. Mm-hmm. I truly adore the families and the kids that we serve at the Y, but I also know that we're creating a bigger impact in our community. Um, a nonprofit job is different than a for-profit job in, in mm-hmm. multiple ways. And, you know, it's, I was in a sales role before, and I was selling a tangible item we're not, it's not a tangible item. We're, we're, you know, we can get touchy feely to the heart, but as far as leaving with a product, that's not what the nonprofit industry is about. And so I know that we're making an impact on people's lives with what we do every day. And that's what keeps me. It's really investing in people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, to help them to be better. Yes. So this series is about maximizing impact. What does that mean to you, that whole term, maximizing impact? What does that mean to you? So I think for me, maximizing impact is using all of the resources that you have to create the best outcome. Mm-hmm. And whether that means that you're doing that for yourself or you're, you're being a resource for somebody else, it always helps maximize their impact as well. So either doing it for yourself or for others, I think, is just being a resource, being a resource. really helps. Absolutely. You know, I wrote a book, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maximizing Impact, Success Strategies for Dynamic Nonprofits. What I see you have it with you. I so do. And you've got lots it, of post marked, highlights and everything. So what chapters resonated with you and why? So I will say the first thing that stood out to me was in chapter five about building your team. And mm-hmm. you made a very a, a bold statement that's vulnerable that I think some people would be afraid to say, which is that you were fired. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was too. Yep, <laughs> and yep. so to see somebody else write that out and put that out, it was very um, impactful for me because it's something that you don't talk about a lot. I think Mm -hmm. in our roles, especially being the head of organizations, that's not something that people think ever happened to you. It happened to me. I was in Mm -hmm. pharmaceutical sales for eight years. I was not good at it. I was not passionate about it. I didn't enjoy it. And I was terminated from it. And it was a blessing in disguise because it led me to my nonprofit career. And nonprofits is something that I've thrived in. I think I found myself, my voice, um, and my confidence and my ability to lead through nonprofits. And so that 
that was extremely impactful to me was just hearing that you've been there too. <laughs> been there too. And it's like, I, you know, I did, I haven't talked about it yeah. because it's like, yes, I was, I was terminated mm-hmm. and I chose, instead of looking for another engineering job, mm-hmm. I really pursued my passion because mm-hmm. I really wasn't feeling it. Yep. Same. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, it was a blessing in disguise. Absolutely. And God does work in mysterious ways 100%. because if I was happy, I could have missed my calling yeah. and never really pursued my yeah. passion by just focusing on money and, you know, right. and, and, and all that. So, yeah, that was very liberating when I wrote it. Yeah, it is because you don't say it very often and you don't mm-hmm. hear people say it because at the time it's like, oh, it's kind of embarrassing. It's, but, it was embarrassing. Yeah, but yeah. now it's like, God, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. It also taught me a lot about my leadership style and mm-hmm. the type of leader that I wanted to be was not what I had in mm-hmm. that industry. And mm-hmm. so I think that it was very... It, it was, for me, a life-changing moment for the better. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I, I have always said that I see how God has orchestrated my life. And it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, being able to really pursue your passion yeah. is, is a blessing. Yes, a blessing. Absolutely. absolutely. And I thought, too, in that chapter, you talk about building your team. And I think that that is, is probably the best lesson I've learned just in the past three years mm-hmm. while I'm, I've been leading the why is that the team is vital and I have been able to really build a strong team and we've started talking about succession plans and mm-hmm. you know I'm not going to be there forever <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I just want to make sure that we have the right people in place because it's not my why it's our why um, and so I think it's important to do that for the organization so we've we've built a pretty solid team where people thrive in what they mm-hmm. do and that's mm-hmm. really important we're not throwing people into positions just to fill a role. Um, I'm just making sure they're equipped, right? That's why I I talk about professional development, having a budget Mm -hmm. for your folks. Yep. Yeah, to get definitely. the skills that they need. Yeah, and they want to. I mean, mm-hmm. they, nobody just wants to be stagnant in, in their role, regardless right. of what industry they're in. So I think being able to to make an investment in your people is extremely important. Absolutely. Other chapters that I thought were really um, that that made a, an impact on me um, talk about leadership essentials. And there was a quote from Charles Patton. He was the first CEO that met with me when I became the executive director at the Heart mm-hmm. Association. And my mentor, Bob Pepper, took me to meet him, and he had just made a, a big impact on me with the first meeting. He's you know, very personable, and you could tell he was very passionate, and, and everybody in town loved him. So when we, he moved, it was a big I know, it was a big <laughs> void. Was a big yeah, void. He was one of the most down-to-earth yes. corporate leaders yes. I've ever met. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he, he Bob Pepper, my, my mentor, is very similar to that. He was at NGK Spark Plugs for a long time, and they they – had a great relationship. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's because they were both very powerful leaders, but they were very humble and down to earth, which you should be. You should be right. I learned so much from him just, and I remember when I was, cause he gave us one, a grant when I was Mm -hmm. at Kisra and he wanted to come down and meet with us and hear Mm -hmm. about what we were doing and see and, and just really just normal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's a lot. Just saying yeah. just a normal guy. Right. You know, relatable guy. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, no, he was he was wonderful. But then the myths about leadership, just I, I chuckled a lot while I was reading it because it's mm-hmm. so true. And um, one of the the main things is that everybody just assumes that we have all the answers. I don't have we all don't. the answers. And, and it's no. not me, it's my team. And you're not supposed to. No, absolutely I not. I mean, if anyone tells you they do, you kind of look at them kind of 
funny because they're, they're not right. They're not telling the truth. No, that's and why you have a team. That's why you have a team, and that's the team will have the answers, but not mm-hmm. me personally. Um, and so I think that that's really important for people to understand as leaders. We don't we don't always know what we're doing. We don't uh, always know, but but and and then but but we have to make the decision when it comes right. to making a decision. Right. We have to use the information we have to make the best decision at the time. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I tell that to people all the time because I I get pulled in a lot of different directions. You know, we have 3,800 members, um, households that are members, and over 6,000 members themselves. And so I I get Mm -hmm. a lot of requests. (laughs) And I I always tell folks if it's what's best for the entire organization, I will do it. But it's got to be what's best. You can't just cater to everyone all the time. No, no, definitely not. Um, But then I, I also appreciated the great leaders are always in the spotlight. I don't like to be in the spotlight. I am in certain scenarios. I'm very extroverted, but I'm kind of an introvert extrovert. So I don't like being out there and and taking Mm -hmm. credit for things because again, it's not me. It's the team. I had a board chair once who said, you need to, you need to toot your own horn a little bit. I'm like, but that's what I, this is what we do. We're doing our job. And so if people see that the job is getting done, then that's success to me. I don't think we need to brag or boast about it it's um, like you got to tell your story it's like yeah. you're caught because yeah. you have to tell your story right yeah right um that we're always on leaders are always on i have to i promised my husband a few weeks ago that i would turn it off and that's very mm-hmm. very hard to do um i think for all leaders it's hard maybe after covid more so than it was before because right, right. the expectation is that you're always available and you're always on you're 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 um you're always thinking. It's yeah. like my brain never, it doesn't never stop. stop. Yeah, it doesn't stop. Yeah. And I, so I try, like I, I have made it a pact to myself mm-hmm. of not checking email before I go to bed because I'll see something and then it keeps me up all night long. And then right. I'm not gr- good the next day. Um, but I also make sure that my team does the same thing because I think mm-hmm. that sometimes they feel like they, if I'm doing it, then they, then they have to, to do it as well. So um, I'm really big on PTO. And when you're off, you're off. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. My, my team knows, too. I, I'll, if I send an email to them while they're on PTO, it'll say in bold, do not read this until you return. And mm-hmm. it's just because I need to get it off my plate, right. but I don't mm-hmm. want them to feel like they have to respond mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because that personal time is really important. I try to make sure they take their time because yes. you know, work will just, you'll be, be sucked in. Yeah. And then by the time you know it, the end of right. the year is there. So it, really making sure that I reinforce the fact, take your time take off. Take your time. Yeah. And I, I think too, we've, you know, we've had some struggles over the last couple of years with, with COVID and being in the industry that we're in. And mm-hmm. a lot of times people and, and especially folks on my team take stuff a lot uh, very personally that I have to make the decision for. So if I have to terminate somebody or if mm-hmm. I have to, to make a change in how we do business, that's my burden to carry. Right. They don't need to take the brunt of that. That's the role I signed up for. Mm-hmm. And so I think mm-hmm. that letting it go and, and being off needs to be that too, is just not carrying the load. Absolutely. I don't like to carry it all the time, but I'll do it because that's what my role is. But you can then. Yeah. I remember there were, we were going through some struggles at the foundation with um, a couple of, personnel related yeah. items and I remember them talking to an employee and she was like I'm not sleeping I was like listen this is nothing yeah try not having enough money to pay folks right because we, we went through times like that at Kizra yeah and I was like whatever we're going through now let don't sleep get yeah. your sleep <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you should not be worried about this you yeah. know what I mean so it's like after going through certain tough times it has equipped me to not stress about okay this is you know this sounds terrible but in the in the 
large scheme of right. things, this is nothing. Right. We can get through this. So I think being able, you know, those past um, challenges yes. really equip you to deal with whatever you're going to deal with. Right. You know, so. I heard somewhere that 99% of the problems you create are in your head and 1% is actually yeah, reality. Yeah, you can just get so consumed. Oh my gosh, like, and go down the rabbit hole. It's not hole. that big a deal. Right, yeah. right. I tell myself at the time, but sometimes I need to remind myself. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we all do. We all yeah, do. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, then I mean, you talked a lot about leadership styles, and I think that that, in my opinion, that changes throughout your, your career. And and yeah, and throughout a week. I yeah. mean, you, you have to flex, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. So I think like when I first started, I started in the middle of COVID and I came into wow. an industry that had, I'd managed nine people to 109. So it was the, it's the hardest thing I've ever done mm-hmm. um, as a leader, but it was also a complete drastic change in the industries. And so I for me, it was I was a servant leader right from the get go. I was mm-hmm. in the trenches with my team. I still do get in the trenches mm-hmm. with my team, mm-hmm. and I think that that's super important for them to see you. Right. Um, I've I work in childcare classrooms. If we're short, I'll hold babies. I'll change diapers. I'll do whatever we have to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that that creates a really unique bond between you and your teams because they know you know what they deal with on an everyday basis, and you're yeah. in it. Yeah. Um, so I think in the beginning it was probably more of a servant empathetic and now maybe more of a democratic mm-hmm. servant empathetic I, I'm still always there but right. I think it's important for that to fluctuate a little bit um, and then you also talked about role models and mentors and like you my my father and my parents are, are mm-hmm. my biggest role mm-hmm. models um, and then I have a, a local mentor as well who is who's super important um, to, to me and has been a, a sounding board throughout my career specifically in nonprofits right it, it's good to have because my parents, I always, because I remember when I, when I was married, I would always be so frustrated at my husband at the time mm-hmm. because, it, you know, he always had an excuse. And I, I think I had a it in a book, too, yeah. about why he couldn't keep a job. Yeah. I was like, I, don't, I couldn't relate. Because yeah, no. my parents came. My mom taught teachers at the teacher's college. Yeah. And she came to she started working at the child care center, but we yeah. were happy as a lark because she right. was working. Yeah. My dad was CFO at the post office in Guyana, where, yeah. we're, where we're from. And he was doing temp jobs. You know, in New yeah. York, you can sign up yeah. for temp jobs and you wait yeah. for them to call you. Right. So it's like, I, I don't, I can't relate to people who have excuses. No. You know, for why they couldn't find a job and keep a job. I just, I just can't relate I, just because of my parents. Absolutely. My, yeah. my parents and my grandparents were like that too. My, mm-hmm. my dad worked his entire life. Um, he was in the military and then came right out and worked for um, GE and then he worked for Coca-Cola mm-hmm. and that's what brought us here. And he made sacrifices that right. at when the time, yeah, at the time I thought, oh, gosh, you're moving us from Nashville to Charleston, West Virginia. That's horrible. But he had to. And, mm-hmm. it, and it's what he needed to do for his career. Right. And I... I have a tremendous amount of respect for him um, for that. Absolutely. That now I see more as an adult and in in, in my role than I probably did when yeah, I was when, a, yeah, a child. Yeah, when you see how well they have done with whatever limited resources yeah. they had, it's like, yeah. wow, okay, I, I get it now. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So you have a number of programs at the Y. Mm-hmm. Which ones do you think are most impactful and how do you know? So I would definitely say childcare is is the... Probably the hardest. That was the hardest the, program I ran. <laughs> oh, the hardest. And you talk about people not wanting to work. <laughs> we, we, try to, we try to do the best we can. But I think more so now than probably pre-COVID, and I wasn't around pre-COVID, mm. but I think that there is a 
direct correlation between economic development and child care. And so I, I try, we had um, a training today for new summer camp staff. And I told them when I introduced myself to him, I said, you're more than just a summer camp counselor. You are contributing to the economic development of our community mm-hmm. because parents cannot work if they don't if have childcare. Child yeah. So think of that and, and, and be proud of that and know that you're making a bigger difference than you thought you were when you signed mm-hmm. up for this. Um, so I think that childcare is definitely the program that is um, the most impactful program mm-hmm. that we have. Um, but I think it also is, it can be measured different for different people. I think that the person who gets up every day and is mentally um, needs a place to go to, to you know, get everything out. Mm-hmm. The health and fitness side is the most impactful to them. So I think that, you know, it depends on who you ask what what is the most impactful program that we do. But for me, it's definitely childcare. Right, right, right. So what stra- what strategies have you used to maximize the impact of the childcare program? So with with childcare and just what we do in general, um, when I started, I was really fortunate to have a a, a mentor through YUSA. Um, mm-hmm. We're owned and operated solely on our own, so I didn't have the luxury of having a the previous leader here, which is probably a good thing because we're two mm-hmm. completely different people. Um, but we, we were really able to focus on three things, and that was child care mission and membership. Prior to that, we had our hands in everything. We did every mm. sport known to man. We tried everything. We were at different locations all throughout the community, and it didn't work um, mm. because we were spreading ourselves spreading way too thin. thin. Mm-hmm. And so it, it COVID was a great opportunity for us to really look at our business and identify those three things that we were good at. Um, and that's what we've done for the last three years, and it's worked. We've All board meetings are only focused on those three things. Anytime you, I'm, I'm out having a conversation with a potential donor, I focus on those three things mm-hmm. just because it's it's what we do and it's who we are. Um, so that's really helped us maximize um, our impact. Good, good, yeah. good. So it may just be just just really honing in and what yeah. you're best at instead right. of spreading all over. And let the... somebody else do it if you're not. <laughs> uh, collaboration yeah. is probably, absolutely. yeah. Absolutely, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So what do you know now that you wish you knew when you first started? at the Y. Oh God. In the middle of COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Number one, that you can't make everybody happy, but Mm -hmm. I will try. Um, Mm -hmm. That I think for myself personally, I think if I, um, I am much more confident in my ability now as a leader than I was three years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, There were definitely a lot of days where I questioned whether I made the right decision because it was so hard. I mean, not Mm -hmm. only were we dealing with limited resources, limited funding, we were having mask issues. And, you know, that creates a whole nother um, issue with with people in general, and just their views on it. And so that was very challenging for me. Um, So I think just knowing that we could get through it, and it's because I had a great team, you know, Mm -hmm. I I had the support of my team around me. And I, I think just if I would have known that, Maybe it would have been a little bit easier in the beginning. Right, right. But also that it's important to say no. When you know that you can't do something, you have to say no. Um, and I think it's important for us as leaders, and specifically maybe female leaders. I'm the first female leader of the YMCA here in town, and that carries a pretty big load. But it's important for me to know my value and know my worth and mm-hmm. know that I was hired for the right reasons. I wasn't hired just because I'm a woman. And so that, that's been something that I've, I try to keep in my mind a lot, too, and, and tell myself on a regular basis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what aspects of your work do you feel um, proudest of? 
there the why I think the proudest thing I am I'm, I'm most proud of my team um, they are resilient They've, there's a lot of grit in them mm-hmm. there's a I have a lot of people on my team who have been with the organization for decades and they're still there and how long has that why been around oh gosh we've been in Kanawha County for 116 years oh wow the YMCA okay. has we've been up on the hill since the 1980s mm-hmm. um, and I have folks who were who have been with us since you know, that time who, and now that they're now they're members, but they, they're retired, but I've got a lot of folks on my staff who have been with us for 25, 30 years. And so they've seen a lot of different leaders. Could imagine. (laughs) (laughs) And they've gone through a lot of changes and they, they stuck through, um, with me. And I think that we've created again, a team that we're incredibly diverse. We're incredibly vocal. They're very innovative when they might not have had that luxury before, they have it now um, because I think that they have a voice. They have a voice, like. and that's mm-hmm. really important. And they're also, I, I think it's really important that just because you work at a nonprofit doesn't mean that you have to make minimum wage. And mm-hmm. it's incredibly important to reward your staff with Absolutely. wages that are livable market, market. <laughs> and be able to market that, but mm-hmm. to know that that it. it shows them that they're valued. And so we've made a lot of changes over the last couple of years just with that. And it's really helped with our retention. And so I think it, it makes a happier team, which to me is important. Absolutely. So, so I know you said you're focusing on your three core areas. Mm-hmm. Um, are there growth opportunities that still exist, even yeah. though you're focusing on those three areas? Yeah, I think just with childcare alone, there's, there's a tremendous amount of growth. There's a critical need for childcare mm-hmm. in our community and across the state. Um, and I think, again, with a direct correlation with economic development, we've got to work hand in hand with our chambers and with our state officials mm-hmm. to ensure that there is adequate funding, but there's also adequate resources for childcare throughout the state. So I think that there's a tremendous opportunity for, for childcare growth. Um, I think, too, in the schools, there's an opportunity for us to go into the schools and be the after-school care provider mm-hmm. um, for, for different elementary schools. Not everybody has the luxury of a third base program. And while it's convenient for some parents, it's not for others. Mm-hmm. And so I think we can fill a gap there. Um, but I've, I think the biggest thing that we're, we're really creating a, a voice and we're having some growth is just in how we are perceived in the community. Um, I pride myself and my team laughs at me all the time because I always say we're we're so much more than a treadmill and I can't stand it when somebody calls us a gym it is my biggest pet peeve and I'll say probably if a member calls and complains and they just that's the only thing that they complain about is the gym maybe we're not meeting your needs maybe you need to go to a gym because we're not we're not a gym we're a nonprofit organization dedicated to healthy living social responsibility and youth development and those are our those that's our passion Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and so I, I think that there's there's definitely growth opportunities from the health and fitness side, but we're starting to focus more on the needs of our community. We created a Y marketplace, so we're now a food pantry through Mountaineer Food Bank. Good, because good, it's a good. need that we found through food insecurity is huge. It's huge, yeah. and you know it all started because of our team. We had one little girl in after school who went to her her counselor and said that her and her sister were hungry on the weekends, wow. and that just has spiraled into this. And and 
it's because we're passionate because we love what we do and Mm -hmm. because we love the families that we serve. And so now we're, that's growing, which is huge. Um, we just recently partnered with the special Olympics on tennis for fun, which is a program specifically designed for folks in our community with special needs. And that's another passion of our team is that we want to make sure that we have those opportunities in place for everyone to be able to participate Mm -hmm. in every single thing that we do. And so that might be creating special curriculum. It may mean hiring special ed teachers. We don't know what the future holds with that, but we we definitely want to have a voice, um, and that and so those are probably the biggest areas of growth for us is that we just want the community to know that we're a nonprofit for the community and it's mm-hmm. not we're not a country club up on the hill we're not just a gym yeah. um, and so that's where we're we're having the most growth it's great I like how you're being responsive to the needs that yeah. you see yeah that is great so what advice do you, would you have for someone thinking of starting uh, whether it's one of like a program like you know like you have um, at, at your nonprofit, mm-hmm. do you have any advice for someone? Because sometimes people don't realize how hard it is <laughs> to work in the nonprofit sector. Yeah. So, what advice would you have for someone thinking of starting programs that are similar to yours? So, I would say number one. Um, make sure it's something that you want to dedicate yourself to because it's not just yourself. It's the people who you will hopefully employ. It's the people who you serve. You need to be dedicated all around. Um, but I think from a, a childcare perspective, it is, and as you know from, from Kisra, mm-hmm. it is 10,000 times harder it's than hard. what I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not just the, the, it's not just difficult handling the children. And, and there are more, there are studies out right now that that kids are starting to see more mental health. They're starting to show more mental health um, challenges earlier in age, and we're we're mm-hmm. seeing that. We're seeing the effects of that, um, and so that's hard in itself. And and now we're hiring behavioral therapists, things that we never would have done before. Mm-hmm. We're doing now. Um, it's expensive. That's that's I think the biggest challenge is, and that's the challenge with childcare now um, is that. You know, there's been bills that have been passed where companies can start childcare facilities on site and they get tax breaks, and that's great. But what they're not taking into consideration is the cost of insurance. And our insurance has skyrocketed in the last two years. Wow. And every other childcare provider's has as well. And so it's not just being able to care for someone's child. It's so much more than that. And and licensing and every, I mean, I could go on. It's, the ratios. It's, the ratios. The, it's just, there's just a lot. There's a <laughs> um, lot to it's, it. Yeah. It's not easy. And so that I would say is if you haven't worked in the industry, don't do it. Mm-hmm. You need to, you need to know, you need to get in there and you need to work it and you need to work your way up. You need to start as a, as a lead teacher or even as a, you know, an aide and then work your way up through management so you can see the, Everything, all aspects, all of aspects it. of it, because it's com- it's really really hard. <laughs> that, yeah, that I always, you know, I'm very real with folks when they when they oh I want to sounds kind of neat and yeah, yeah taking care uh, of children and but it's a business that you if you're trying to make it work it's, it's and it's you're not you're not going to make money on it you, and you can't there, yeah. it's it's our mission like that is for us you know people think again it's just that what people don't know they think that you make money on it because it's expensive. Childcare is expensive. It's expensive, but yeah. the overhead cost just of uh, to be able to operate a facility is huge. It's tremendous. Yeah. And if we break even at the end of the year, that's great. That's success for yeah. us. So, absolutely. Um, that's kind of just what I would tell somebody. Yeah. 
So as we wind down, um, just thinking about the future, you know, starting your new year, whole new career in the middle of COVID and, um, you know, having a lot of, of serious lessons learned during that time. What gives you hope as you look to the future? What gives you hope? I think my, from me professionally, um, my team gives me hope. Mm-hmm. We have uh, a motto that we, we, it's our new vision for 2023. It's help one, help many. And so mm-hmm. just the innovative thinking that has come out of the team of ways that we can be a resource in the community and ways that we can meet the needs of our community is tremendous. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, to see that is super exciting because I know we have the right people in place to make it happen. And um, so I can't, I can't wait for the day where we can celebrate or you and I can talk about what we might be doing with the um, youth that are in foster care. We talked mm-hmm. about uh, an idea that some folks on our team had is that there we're, we're we need to fill the gap of kids who are older in the foster care system who at 18, they're going to get kicked out on their own yeah. and they have nowhere to go. So why can't we as an organization take them at 15, give them a job, give them a mentor, teach them how to be financially stable so that when that time comes, they're mm-hmm. okay and they're set up. And they're, they're successful. They're successful. They're transitioning. So yeah, I can't wait till that happens. I'm really excited for that. Um, I'm excited to see how we can be a resource um, for other child care facilities in in West Virginia and have that voice. Um, I've been given a really unique opportunity to to be able to work with legislatures on it. And so I think it's a it for me, that's where I see the biggest growth opportunity is just helping be a change maker in economic development for the state. So have you been working a lot on policy? Because I know we, yeah. like child care, like for example, the reimbursement rate. Oh. I remember that was um, yeah, not. It wasn't in line with national standards mm-hmm. for for kids who were subsidized. No, and yeah. So have you been? Have you had the opportunity to work on on policy with the legislature? Yeah, this past year we did, um, mm-hmm. and this past year we we really tried, and it did not pass. But we've there's been some different changes Sometimes that it happened. Takes, it yeah, takes some a while to pass. Yeah, things, it's yeah. it's working right now. So we're gonna keep our fingers crossed that mm-hmm. we're gonna go down that track. But before COVID, um, when a child and was on subsidy through the state and Mm -hmm. they didn't come, you weren't paid. Right. And so that creates a really big challenge with staffing because you're paying the staff to be there. You're paying all the overhead costs, whether mom brings Johnny or not. You know, you can't. And you want to serve the kids who are are, on subsidies. Um, And because those are the ones that we we want to help them the most. Exactly. Um, And so we we can't control if they're going to be there or not. So that created a big challenge for us. When COVID happened, that changed, and we mm-hmm. were reimbursed based off of if they were enrolled or not. And so Good. that was the big policy that we were trying to make um, firm and, and and be the the regular policy for the future, mm-hmm. because it's been able we've been able to be successful and we've been able to continue to staff. We've been able to get to pay increased wages right. because we've been given that that subsidy and given that reimbursement. So that's one of the policies that we've really been working on over the good, last good, year. Good. So that's been fun. Um, and then from a national perspective, I was chosen to be on our YUSA Child Protection Committee, which is for Congrats. me huge. That's Thank wonderful. you. Yeah. Um, so I'm one of 35 CEOs across the country that is going to help kind of implement and create policy around child protection for all wise so that's super exciting um for me and and for us and i think for our organization it's Mm -hmm. it's critical good 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 well thank you so much for making time for this conversation i've learned a lot and thank you it's good that we you know we share some common history (laughs) and experiences in our careers yes definitely so i appreciate your time thank you so much i appreciate it